It is an ancient Christian hymn. I'm not sure who wrote it. I don't think it was Martin Luther or Charles Wesley or any of those great theologians of Christianity and Christian history. But it is that great Christian hymn that goes something like this. No, I'm not going to sing it. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. (laughs) Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Wait a minute, that's not a Christian hymn. Some of you are too young to remember a TV program called Hee Haw, but it was full of truth befitting its name. And it seems like that old song, that old standard for that TV show seems to fit today. Everywhere we look is bad news. It was just a few weeks ago that the reports came of a shooting in a nightclub in Orlando and last I remember some 30 people lost their lives. In Nice, France, it seems like it's around 80 people who are mowed down with a vehicle. These things come in such rapid succession anymore that we don't even have time to grieve one of them before the next one comes along. And so this week, as I was working on getting this message together, the reports came across that in Munich, there was a guy who was killing people at a mall. And nine people died. Our minds go, as we've already pointed this morning, to those that are especially difficult for us. Five police officers in Dallas ambushed and murdered in the line of duty. It was last week at the close of the Sunday school hour that one of the men in our church who spends time working out of Baton Rouge and has uh, some co-workers there pulled me aside and told me that the reports coming across from Baton Rouge were that three more police officers or law enforcement officers had been gunned down. Everywhere we look, it seems like there's bad news. On top of those things, as terrible as they are, we look into the political process of a country that is now deep into the political season in which we will re-staff part of Congress and get somebody else to re, uh, renew our hope that maybe the presidential office can amount to something positive. A nation that is deeply divided, gridlock in the halls of government, and perhaps the one that misses our attention much of the time, is that that hate language and that hate behavior that is so common in the streets now has found access into our churches and church people regularly slay one another. 
It would be easy for us to lose heart in days like this. Surely Christianity has an answer. Surely the Christian faith has some adequate response into the scenario of our day. Stepping out of our normal series this summer, because uh, for the summer, just for today, because I I believe that at least for me, the bad news of the day that now has stretched into weeks and months, that that bad news demands a Christian response. We've got to have some point of reference that keeps us from getting swept along with the tide of our day. And so I I turn to one of my go-to passages. In in the stretch of my life, I I find that there are these times that that it's just good and it's necessary to step back from the normal day-to-day stuff and get reoriented, to to get back on track, to get refocused on the things that help us to make sense of life, especially when life seems to be totally out of control. And so I go to that book in the Bible that really functions for us like the soundtrack for a movie, and especially the movie of our lives. The book of Psalms is a collection of individual psalms where psalmists have, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in their lives, have written down stuff that stretches through the centuries even to our day and speaks truth into the midst of where we are. And I got to tell you, some of that soundtrack is a little disturbing. There are passages, for instance, in the book of Psalms where it talks about our desire to see God exact vengeance on people who have treated Christians, well, we would say Christians, who treated God's people wrongly. And some of it is very R-rated stuff, very violent stuff. But for today, I want to go to this psalm, psalm number 95. I would encourage you to turn there with me as we walk our way through this. And, And as bad news threatens to rule the day, how should we respond to that? Psalm 95 is considered to be a psalm of disorientation. Now, it's an interesting term and it's an interesting way of approaching the psalms. And and as we do this, we find that there are those psalms that are written and they just lay out truth for us. And it's those truths that we hold on to, those pillars, if you will, of truth in our lives that we hang on to and we find comfort in them. But there are other psalms that are psalms of disorientation. These are the psalms that say, I know the truth and those things that orient my life. I I know things are true, but, but the situation in which I find myself threatens those truths. And as we read through this, it's going to seem a little odd that I throw that category on this particular psalm. Because really the stuff we're going to focus on today is is the orientation part. This is where the psalmist says, these are the things I know and these are the things that give me some kind of grounding in the middle of some tough, tough tough days. Psalm 95 reads this way. Oh, come, 
Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now I want to stop the reading for just a second. I'll pick it up in a moment. But those things that we just read are, are things that at least on the surface sound to be those truths that we can bank on, that we hold on to. And even though the world around us seems to be spinning out of control, those are truths we can hang on to. We'll talk about some things because there's some hidden stuff in there that seems to point to maybe there are areas in life that these truths are threatened. This last part is the real disorientation part because this last part, and I'm not going to spend any time talking about it today other than what I'm about to say, so you can go back and read the historical account that this is referring to. But this last part now, it turns instead of the psalmist talking about God and to God, now it's God talking back. And it's a very disorienting truth that God speaks here. The psalmist has just gone to great lengths to make these great faith statements. But God answers to that latter part of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So when bad news seems to rule the day and everywhere we look is just more bad news, how do we find our way. Well, the first thing I think the psalmist says here is that we must deliberately refocus. Now, that comes across here in the first couple of verses, and I'll, I'll point to those in just a moment, but let me just start by saying that focus is an incredibly important part of life. I have found in my own life, and I'll just take the education process and that formal education process where I had to work my way through, didn't think I would even get out of high school. If you'd have known about my last week in high school, you'd have known why that's a true statement. But then into college and seminary and beyond, and every step of the way I found myself as a father with young children at home and then a father with teenagers at home as I was trying to go through the education process, I found myself needing something that says, you got to get this done. Fortunately, I have a wife who said, look, if you, God told you to go, I get it, so go and get out. Not get out of the house, but get out of school. Get, get it done. So we focused in. You know, uh, there's a did you know that there's a professional football team in Houston? I was not aware of that for a long time. Um, we all know about the Cowboys. 
Um, but specifically, I didn't realize the Texans were big until I got into this area. You know, there's a guy that plays for the Texans who, who embodies this idea of focus that I'm talking about. You heard of J.J. Watt? Just a, just a little guy, plays a little bit of football. You know, there was a, a comment that he made as I was um, doing a little research a while back. Actually, this been quite a while back. Um, but, you know, J.J. Watt is an incredible specimen of the human uh, condition and uh, has risen to the ranks of the elite in the NFL uh, and has re- achieved great success in the process. And I saw an article where he was talking about being kind of ridiculed or picked on a little bit by some of his fellow NFL guys because Watt has risen to this level. Uh, you know, he, he has the ability to hang around with celebrities. He is a celebrity, in his, a celebrity in his own right and all of those kind of things. And so, But he was not taking part in the social scene that so many uh, professional football players did. And so somebody finally came to him and some of these guys started giving him a hard time about it and here was his response and it goes to the point of focus. He said, listen, I recognize that I have the rest of my life to do all of that stuff. But in my profession, I have a limited number of years that I can function at a high level. And I am going to take those years and do everything I can in order to succeed during that time. I'll worry about that other stuff when the time comes. Now, let me tell you, whatever you think about football or him, that is an incredibly smart statement. Focus has a way of moving us in powerful ways in our lives. And so I think the the psalmist would say to us here, when we are surrounded by bad news, we need to stop and deliberately refocus. Here's where I get that out of this passage. First couple of verses, four different times, he issues an invitation. It's one of those invitations that certainly you can say, no, I don't think I'm interested, but it's written with such force that it begs us in. He says in verse 1, oh, come, let us. And so that, that's the, the formula here. The words, let us, and then he'll fill it out for us four different times, actually six different times as we work our way through. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And then drop down to verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And so what he has done to us is he's pushed us forward into this invitation that says, regardless of what's going on around you, refocus and that focus needs to be on worship. Can I be just really transparent with you and tell you that usually when I watch any of the media outlets or read any of them online, worship is usually not what they push me to do. But this is more than just worship. I just be a little more transparent with you that I, I got to be honest. And sometimes when I'm looking at the stuff going on around me and seeing people that I care about, or at least the professions I care about being led to slaughters, sometimes worship and singing doesn't really seem appropriate. I don't feel like worshiping when I look around and see what's going on around me. 
But you see, there's the power of the refocus. There's a word that's used here that kind of gets us off. And, uh, you know, I, I love listening to some of you talk about your husbands uh, and their inability to sing. That happens a lot around here. Uh, I hear wives, you know, just kind of, you know, throwing an elbow, just keep it down kind of thing. Um, but, you know, the word that's used there for sing, it's in verse 1, actually. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. There, there's an interesting terminology here. Because some of you really should not sing in public. I suppose. But let me let you off the hook if you're a non-singer. The word picture here is actually unrestrained shouting. Now, if you tried that in one of our music services, some of the ushers might come to you and escort you out, but probably not. This is, this is a rowdy worship service he's inviting us into. Unrestrained shout. The idea here is that the focus is so centered on God himself that you lose all sense of decorum and practical acceptance of a social kind of a thing and you are so focused in on God that you can't help but just let it out. Now we don't push that kind of worship too much. We like orderly and reverent is a word that we use a lot. But this is the kind of thing that when you really get focused correctly, you just can't help but let it out. That's all well and good, except that sometimes we find ourselves where we just can't seem to worship. Here's why. Because bad news has a way of stealing our song from us. You know, one of the greatest enemies of worship is situational focus. We get so focused in on the things that are around us. Well, I didn't get the raise that I wanted. I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. And so, therefore, I can't worship now. I certainly can't sing now unless it's that hee-haw hymn. Our situational focus just robs us of the right focus. And the right focus pushes us to worship. So when singing or worship doesn't seem to be appropriate for your circumstances, when the news reports of the day have stolen your song, let me give you this practical suggestion. It's a little different, and I get that, but I'm a different kind of guy, and I'm comfortable with that. So here, let me just throw this out as an option for you. Uh, really, it kind of falls under this, this whole category of prayer and especially praying scripture, uh, but I'll add to that an element of uh, imagination. Here, here's how that looks. You remember Jesus and his encounters with the disciples, and we talked a little bit last time about him choosing the disciples from the riverside there, I mean, excuse me, by the, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, but there's another instance in the life of Jesus that provides great opportunities for us in prayer to get our focus back where it belongs. Um, so Jesus had been with 
the crowds and the multitudes and you know been teaching and doing miracles and all of that kind of stuff. And it gets later in the day and Jesus sends his disciples uh, and they all get in a boat and they go across. You remember the story there? And so in the midst of that, as they're on their way across and it's in the middle of the night, it says that Jesus was in the bow of the ship. What was he doing? He was asleep. Now let me just stop for a second. And let's talk about honest prayer. Do you ever feel like things are so bad around you? Do you ever feel like that maybe God's asleep? I have to tell you, some of the lives of those law enforcement uh, professionals who went in and were murdered as they were, if I was their family members, I'd be asking God, what gives? I think if we're really honest, most of us have gone through those times in life when we look at it and go, okay, God, I don't know if you're asleep or if you just don't care, but this is not right. First of all, if that challenges you a little bit to be that honest with God, I would say you ought to read your scriptures a little more because that's all through scripture. Guys who are honest enough, and Moses said, God, you ought to just kill these people. I like Moses. Sometimes it feels like God's asleep. And so in your prayer life, go to that passage of Scripture and just roll it through your head. And as you're praying, let it be what it is. God, I, and be honest, God, I, 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 this is bad. And it's okay to do that as long as you're willing to go the next step. Okay, so the next step in that story is it says Jesus was asleep. They went down to wake him up, and what did they say? Do you, what a great honest prayer. That's how we know the disciples were Baptists, okay? Do you not care that we're dying? These are professional fishermen. It's not their first time to be in a boat out in the middle of a storm like that. They knew the reality of what that was. It's okay to be honest with God. As long as you're willing to let God be honest with you. And so what does Jesus do? What's the response that Jesus has to that? He gets up, he goes to the rail, and he says to the storm, let me put it, in the best literal translation of what Jesus said. Our English says, peace be still. Literally, Jesus said to the winds and to the waves, be muzzled. Just like that, it says. It was calm. Here's a great truth for you. You need to get refocused out of the bad stuff that seems to be stealing your song. Go to the Lord and let him calm your storm. But you see, that, that is always an option out there. But when we get focused on what Fox News has to say and ABC News has to say and what the Democrats say about the Republicans and the Republicans say about everybody, when all of that seems to just rise up and we can't see anything beyond that, of course we get hopeless in that. So prayer and especially targeted prayer into your situation, what Jesus has already said and done, gives you the ability to refocus. And the psalmist says, 
come. Let's do this. So here's another element to that, and I'll begin to move towards closing here. But sometimes it's hard for us even to want to do the worship part. So let me show you a couple of things in here that really help us out. And here's why as we start digging on this, this is why I say I believe that the psalmist was in a disorienting frame of uh, reference when he started this. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. And I'm going to read them again, but I'm going to focus in on verse 4. He says, for the Lord is a great God. In other words, why should we worship? What's the purpose for this worship? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Here we go. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And here's one of the things that we often miss as we come to these kind of passages. You know, the Hebrew people of the Old Testament are a, or were a land-based people. They're landlocked, and the way they had their, their territory was there. Of course, there's the Sea of Galilee, or would become the Sea of Galilee. But as far as the Jewish theology and mindset of the Old Testament, we find them looking towards the ocean and the sea with a certain amount of discomfort. They, they weren't comfortable out there. It was the place of chaos, if we want to really get uh, um, in intent on getting the idea of some of the words that they used throughout the Old Testament. And so it was this chaotic place. They didn't understand all the waves of the sea. And so it was one of those places of the unknown. So it's no accident when he says here in verse 4, in his hand, in God's hands, are the depths of the earth. Sea was a place of disorientation for them. And so he makes this faith statement here. Even that part of the world that we don't know anything about and we're not comfortable with that, it's disorienting for us and it's challenging for us. Even that point, we believe that that is God's territory too. Let me put this down on the bottom shelf for you because maybe it hadn't quite made the, the connection yet. Uh, Teresa and I, uh, about the time we were approaching our 10th wedding anniversary. Now, in a few months, we'll reach 35 years, if she doesn't kill me before then. <laughs> but about the time that we got to our 10th wedding anniversary, uh, I'd been flying back and forth to seminary in Houston from down the Rio Grande Valley, and so I was automatically pushed into uh, what was Continental Airlines' uh, frequent flyer program, and I got into the silver elite status. Okay, what that means is I got free stuff. That's what I'm talking about, free stuff. And so I didn't even realize it, but I had been entered into one of their um, promotional giveaway contests. And because I was elite status, they automatically entered me into it. And so I didn't know anything about it until I got this thing in the mail. It says, congratulations, you are a winner in our Fly 3, Fly Free program. And so you could take those, this was to me, you can take those three free tickets to go anywhere in the continental U.S. that continental goes. Or you can trade one of them in and two can go anywhere that continental goes. And I thought, I'm a big spender. I got this free mileage. I'll take her to Hawaii. So that's what we did, right? Now, let me tell you how stupid I am, okay? It was five days and four nights, but 
all that was free was the airfare. Now, see, I didn't realize that was a sales gimmick. So for those free tickets, I spent a lot of money. But I, I still was, you know, how stupid I am. We got on that plane, and I had $200 cash in my pocket. That'll buy you a half a breakfast in Hawaii. So we were on a shoestring. I mean, you know, we had like no money, and we, but we had, it was a great trip. Um, except Teresa doesn't do the water, okay? I said in the early service, she'd be a good Jew because she didn't trust the water stuff, right? Um, she's not a Jew, just so you know, but um, not that that would matter. Um, so, so I decide, you only, how often do you get to go to Hawaii? So I decided I was going to go snorkeling. And the hotel, it wasn't a hotel, it was kind of an apartment condo type thing where we were staying, uh, had a kind of a, an outfitting store at the bottom uh, level. And so I went by there and I found for just a few dollars I could rent the snorkel gear to go snorkeling off the Waikiki Beach there. So I did that. Well, she didn't want to go, so she stayed in the room. And so I walked a couple of blocks down to the beach and, you know, suited up that stuff and got in the water. And I started. Now, here's the difference. If you've been to Galveston or maybe South Padre Island, uh, uh, here's the difference between the beaches in Hawaii and there. At Galveston and South Padre Island, you can go 40 yards offshore and still be in two feet of water. Okay? But in Hawaii, you go 40 yards offshore and it's 7,000 feet deep. I mean, it just drops off. Now, here's how I know that. I went snorkeling. And I didn't realize that I was that far away, 40 yards, not that far. I you know, living down in South Texas at the time. And so, uh, but I, I started noticing that I was not able to see the bottom anymore. And there were big fish swimming underneath me. And I, so I stopped and I looked around and I realized there was nobody else around me. Now, here's how that translates. It translates into a single description, single word description of me. I figured out I was bait. And it, you, the word is disoriented. It became painfully, frightfully clear to me that I was out of my element there. And so I made a mad dash to shore and I turned in my snorkeling gear and I didn't get back in the water the whole time we were there. Now, I'm a pretty good swimmer. But when you're bait... You're going to die. That's the emotion that's attached to the scenario that the psalmist gives here. Even in that place when you are most disoriented in life, God not only is there, but he is still God. So when you look around and all you see is bad news, it says in verse 5, he made it. Verse uh, 5, yeah, he made it. So what do you do with all of that? Much more that could be said. Let me wrap up this way and invite our musicians to come on up at this time. Some of you... Uh, 
We're praying for your poor pastor last week. I asked you to do that. Told you last week that Teresa and I were going to load up after church and go to the woodlands and go to my grandson's first birthday party. Uh, so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your concerns. We, uh, we got over there and there were, I don't know, 40, 50 people in the house. And uh, it's interesting because with all those people there for this one-year-old kid's birthday party, there was only one other one-year-old kid. So these were all adults, right? Um, and so I found myself kind of pulled off into the corner, uh, being extremely sociable. And I didn't know those people. And uh, I got plenty of friends, so I didn't need to be friends with them, I don't think. But so, so I just kind of went over to the corner, and I just kind of minded my own business over there. And somehow I ended up with my grandson, Declan. Uh, I think the deal was he had not had a, I know he had not had a nap, and his mom was about fed up with him. And so she brought him over, and so I was holding him over there. And, and he was fussy, and he was throwing his head back, and, you know, that kind of stuff that I used to beat his mother for. Um, no, I didn't beat her. I just, um, and uh, so I was holding him here, and he was fidgeting, and so I shifted him to the other hand. And so when I got him on my left arm, I, it must have been just right for him because after just a, a seconds. He laid his head down on my shoulder, and within a minute, he was gone, just crashed. And so for 45 minutes, that big melon head of his was sweating all through my shirt, and I was loving it. He was out. I mean, out. There's chaos in the room. There's 20-something-year-old people in there, and they're solving all the world's problems, and they're loud, and they're having cake, and... And it was just loud. It was just chaotic. And through it all, Declan was asleep. Let me tell you, whatever else you want to say about that, that is an incredible picture of what focus does for us. When we get our focus on God rather than on the situation, there is peace available for us. You can rest. In the midst of a tiresome reality that we call 21st century America, there is rest for us. You just have to get in the right arms. Let's worship. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come and we thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the peace that is available to us even when the world is off its rails. So we come to acknowledge, to confess before you that more often than not, we find ourselves disoriented, out of focus, out of sorts, generally unhappy and extremely tired. We ask you to help us get focused again. Drive us to your heart. Give us that rest that we crave. The peace that triumphs over the garbage of our day. 
Father, in the midst of this day and this crowd, we believe that there is hope for all of us, for each of us. So we pray that you would do a work even right now, that your spirit would be so moving in the hearts of these people in this room that we would find rest. If we are out of sorts in our lives and we've let other stuff seize our focus, we pray that you would give us the the intelligence and then the courage to see that and fix that by surrendering to you. Change us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we sing together.